Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa South Sudan's rival leaders meet face-to-face in Ethiopia. And deadly attacks in Mozambique forces people to flee their homes. In economics news, South Africa's manufacturing sector urged to embrace technology. And in sports news, Morocco and Saudi Arabia crash out of World Cup. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. This morning, to thrash out issues of peace and security in the region. The Sadek Traikan Politics, Defense and Security will, among others, discuss the political situation in Lesotho and the DRC. There are fears that the resurgence of violence in some parts of the Democratic Republic of Congo may threaten or derail the planned December polls, while there is a desperate need for capacity building in Lesotho. Speaking ahead of their meeting, South African National National Defence Force General Vusimu Zimasondo says they are experiencing serious challenges in both countries. From Lesotho, they require assistance with capacity building so that when the mission finally withdraws, they are able to maintain the stability in their country. On the TRC, we know that the SADAC has deployed a force intervention brigade to ensure that we deal with the negative forces. But it is confronting serious challenges in terms of uh, support also from the UN uh, sector. So in February, there was a meeting of the UN together with the SADAC double troika and the troop contribution countries to look at how best that mission can be reconfigured to make sure that the FIP is able to discharge its mandate in the DRC. Anglophone separatists in Cameroon have reportedly killed 81 members of the security forces and more than 100 civilians in the months-long campaign for independence. A government report says 74 soldiers and seven police have been killed by separatists since clashes erupted in the two regions late last year. It adds that more than 100 civilians have been killed over the past 12 months and that at least 120 schools have been torched. The report coincides with a blaze of international criticism over the government's crackdown in the northwest and southwest regions. Lawyers for Human Rights says South Africa continues to arrest and deport asylum seekers, forgetting that they too sacrificed to build the country's economy and democracy. Various organizations held a picket outside the Lindela Repatriation Center in Krugersdorp, west of Johannesburg, to mark World Refugee Day on Wednesday. They also wanted to highlight what they say is the inhumane conditions under which detainees live at the center. 
Doctors Without Borders has laid a formal complaint against the Lendela conditions with South Africa's offices of the Health Ombudsman and Health Standards Compliance. Kayan Luhi is from Lawyers for Human Rights. We have forgotten who has made sacrifices for this country, for this democracy. Have they not made sacrifices for our leaders? Have they not made sacrifices for our democracy? They were called here. Our economies were built on the backs of poor African labor. And suddenly, when South Africa decides we don't want you anymore, we can continue violating your rights, we will arrest and deport you like dogs. U.S. President Donald Trump says he will continue to defend the country's borders this after he announced that he would sign an an executive order to keep migrant families together at the border with Mexico. Addressing supporters in Minnesota, Trump pledged to fulfill his campaign pledge to build a wall between the United States and Mexico. The BBC's Chris Buckler reports. Donald Trump may have officially changed his administration's policy, but in a rally in Minnesota, he insisted that America's borders would remain just as tough. He accused his political opponents of not caring about the impact of uncontrolled immigration, saying Democrats were putting migrants before American citizens. The president has been under pressure from some within his own Republican Party because of the images and stories of family separations taking place at the border with Mexico, but surrounded by supporters who chanted build that wall. Mr. Trump gave every indication that he would continue to campaign for tougher laws. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. For feedback and questions relating to our show, tweet us at Channel Africa 1 or at Shine Africa. Email us at info at channelafrica.org or send a WhatsApp message on 277-6300327. Channel Africa, the African perspective. South Sudan's President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Riek Machar met in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, on Wednesday, the first time they have met since 2016. The meeting was witnessed by Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abe Ahmed, who invited the two leaders to rekindle their commitment to end the fighting in the country that began in 2013. This is their first face-to-face meeting in two years. At around 7.30 p.m. East African time on Wednesday, South Sudan President Salva Kiir arrived at the office of Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. He was received by the Prime Minister. About 10 minutes later, Dr. Riek Mashar arrived too and was received by Ethiopia's Minister for Foreign Affairs. The three then proceeded to a closed-door meeting for talks, after which Ethiopian Prime Minister hosted them for dinner. This face-to-face meeting between the two political rivals is expected to soften the tension between their rival groups back home in South Sudan and most probably pave the way for real implementation of a ceasefire agreement that has never been honored. Ethiopia that made the invitation to the two leaders is the chair of the Intergovernmental Authority for Development, IGAD, that brokered the South Sudan peace talks since 2013. 
The IGAD introduced a revitalization process to rekindle the commitment of the warring parties through dialogue. However, they have failed to agree on matters of security and governance. A recent proposal by the IGAD presented to the parties in May this year, where it proposed that the government takes 55% shares of governance, while the faction of Riek Mashar takes 25%, has not been agreed fully by the two parties yet. Since the two warring parties began the power struggle in 2013, over a million South Sudanese are suffering as refugees in neighboring Sudan, Uganda and Ethiopia. Food shortage is making many within the country suffer and the ongoing conflict continues to displace many others within the country. Sanctions against people termed as spoilers of peace has not yielded any expected results. A positive effect of this face-to-face meeting between President Salva Kiir and opposition leader Riek Mashar will be well known if the ongoing insecurity and fighting in parts of South Sudan cease. As of now, there is no certainty as to whether opposition leader Riek Mashar, who has been under house arrest in South Africa, will be allowed by the Intergovernmental Authority for Development, IGAD, to relocate to a country within the IGAD region or even go back home to South Sudan. An IGAD summit is expected in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, on Thursday. I'm Coletta Njoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Attacks and killing of civilians on the outskirts of Pemba and other towns in Mozambique's Cabo Delgado province is driving thousands of people out of their villages. And some tourism businesses have closed down while international companies are evacuating their employees. This follows a spate of attacks where more than 35 civilians were beheaded and their houses torched, allegedly by a group calling itself Al-Suna Wajama. Human and civil rights organizations have called on the Mozambique government and the African Union to intervene. Jonathan Lungu reports. Cabo Delgado is the last province of Mozambique bordering Tanzania up in the north. From the capital city Maputo, you can travel more than 1,600 kilometers and more than one and a half hour flight from the Maputo International Airport. Its population of more than 2.3 million people comprises of different ethnic groups, the Magwa, Makonde and the Muinis along the coast. It's a province known for its attractive tourism sites, the most popular destinations being Kirimba Archipelago Islands, Kirimba National Park and many more. Experts believe the causes for violence are economic and political. They say some people feel they are excluded from the economic boom. Significantly, about 60% of the province's population is Muslim. The organization Al-Sunnah Wajama started as a religious sect and morphed into a guerrilla organization, more like Nigeria's Boko Haram. They want to establish Sharia or Islamic law. And in some areas, people are not allowed to wear religious garb. However, some sheikhs have appealed to government not to punish people because of the actions of a few radicals. About eight years ago, large reserves of natural gas were discovered. Since then, the province experienced an influx of experts and potential businesses who had shown interest in the economic development in that area. The recent attacks, murder and maiming of civilians in Pemba and Mokumbia, the Briar towns, shattered hopes for better economic spin-offs. The attacks started late last year, where three police stations were attacked and two police officers killed by a group of armed men. Southern African Director at Terrorism Research and Analysis Consortium, Jasmine Oberman, has been monitoring the attacks in Mozambique. She says they are fueled by a number of factors. The economic, socio-economic development 
disparities are truly disconcerting. If you look at Pemba, 91% of the people do not have the basic skills. That means any economic development in that area, people from the, from the south will be brought in because they have the skills and the local communities do not benefit. Thirdly, you are sitting with uh, ethnic tensions within that area, what you cannot ignore. Amnesty International Southern Africa Media Manager Robert Shivambu says the attacks on villagers, burning of their houses and the brutal killing of civilians by the extremist group that calls itself Al-Sunawa Jama is becoming worrying. Villagers have been fleeing their homes because they are uh, to seek places of refuge in other areas of the province. So the village is now empty as residents have fled their homes to seek safety. A village attacked on 5 June, now in the village in the south of Maskomea district, is also reported to be empty. The gruesome ways in which these killings are carried out shows these groups intent to sow fear among civilians. The Mozambican authorities must take immediate and effective action to end the killing. But Oberman is optimistic that the country's next year's general elections will be held. She adds that all parties need to come up with a permanent solution to the challenges. The level of mistrust that is still existing in that area between people that were formerly associated with Renamo and the government is strikingly high. So even if elections are going to be held and people are going to be allowed to vote and no matter how free and fair the election, the fact of the north-south divide in Mozambique, because of the historical context between Renamo and Prelimo, and now this new manifestation of extremism, will require more than an election. The latest reports indicate that the United States petroleum companies have ordered their employees not to leave their compounds, and some from other countries have already been evacuated. I'm Jonathan Lungu in Bombela Mpumalanga. Former Zimbabwean Trade Minister Dr. Nkosana Moyo and leader of Alliance for the People's Agenda has launched his party's manifesto on Wednesday. In his policy document, Dr. Moyo promised to deal with corruption, nepotism, chronism and patronage within government. Moyo, a scientist by training, has blamed all Zimbabweans for blindly allowing to be tricked by ruling ZANU-PF for the past 38 years. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. 23 presidential aspirants would contest elections this year and is the first election to attract such a huge number of candidates since independence. While some are independent candidates, some have merged forces with other smaller opposition parties against the ruling ZANU-PF. During the run-up to the 30th of July polls, every candidate has either launched an election manifesto or is yet to do that. Most of the policies look the same, only that they are being crafted by different people with different languages. On Wednesday, former trade minister and leader of Opposition Alliance for the People's Agenda, APA, Dr. Nkosana Moyo, launched this manifesto called Rehabilitate and Modernize. During the launch, Dr. Moyo accepted political parties were making similar promises using different words. So the problem, though, I have as a member of APA, leader of APA, is that I stand in front of you, and all I can do is promise you, because a manifesto is a promise. The challenge, however, is that you and I know the journey we've traveled. There are no promises that have been made to us and fulfilled. So what is going to be different? What is going to be different about my promise? I often tell people as we campaign that 
The only thing that does not lie is history. You are facing an election where all the promises are going to be very similar. The manifestos, to be honest with you, actually they are not worth the paper they are written on because they are going to be the same. They are going to be the same. Different words, same promises. In the past few weeks, citizens were subjected to manifesto launches by the ruling ZANU-PF, Opposition, MDC Alliance, Joyce Mujuru's party, Tokozani Kupes, MDCT, and many more, but the main subject was the end of corruption. Dr. Moyo urged Zimbabweans to define the challenges the country is facing and how they started. What happened? How did we end up? It didn't just happen. In life, there is nothing that just is. There is always a pre-action or lack of action for that matter which explains why we end up where we are. Either we choose not to act, like choose not to vote, that has got a consequence. Or choose to vote for the wrong person, that has got a consequence. But what are the key elements that have led us to be where we are? I think they, they are these. Corruption is one of them. I hope that I don't need to expound on that. Corruption has deprived us as a nation of resources that would have gone into making our environment a beautiful country. That's, I think, straightforward. Things that are not so clear to people often are things I've mentioned before, nepotism, cronyism, and patronage. During the launch, Dr. Moyo pledged to revive the education, tourism, mining, agriculture, health, housing and service delivery systems by cutting cost. He promised to have a cabinet with 17 ministers and no deputies as well as save 1.7 billion US dollars by reducing government's wage bill to lower than 35% or 8% of the gross domestic product. Moyo promised to restore sanity in the banking sector, a key sector that has lost 12 banks owing to accumulated losses of 190 million US dollars since 2012. His government would run with short-term goals of 24 months, medium-term targets 60 months, and long-term plans of 120 months. Charity begins at home, Dr. Moyo said. A fairly delicate area is the area of aid. We in APA, whilst appreciating the value that comes from development partners, will want to make it clear to Zimbabweans that the task of developing this country cannot be outsourced. Our development partners are welcome to help us. The responsibility for developing Zimbabwe is ours. I hope that is clear. It's not APA's responsibility, it's ours, all of us together. And we're going to have to need to understand that there is some pain we're going to have to take to develop our own country. Every single country is developed that way. You notice that the current government has been all over the world trying to persuade people to be friends with us, come and invest in our country. If you read a bit of history and observe what happened, let's say, with countries like Japan and China, the world only started going to China once China demonstrated internally the opportunities that were available in its space. In Harare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchema. Channel Africa. Call to enjoy Addis Ababa.
Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. Informing the world about Africa. Ngatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. A South African-based DRC immigrant, Sikisanga Mbaki, has accused fellow foreigners in the country of engaging in criminal activity. Mbaki, a vendor outside the Desmond Tutu Refugee Center in Pretoria, says some foreigners at the center are spreading lies about corruption to hide their own criminal activities. The plight of refugees and asylum seekers in South Africa was highlighted on World Refugee Day yesterday. Maluti Obusing reports. They arrived in the early hours of the morning to come to renew documents. These are people from all over the world who have come to South Africa for various reasons. Among such, political instability and weakling economies in their country of origin. According to United Nations, 9 out of 10 people are in their own country or country next door due to conflicts and degenerating economies. The UN says 68.5 million people are forced to seek refugee around the world. However, refugees or refugee seekers encounter many challenges as these South African-based Zimbabweans explain. You know what the first problem is when we want to renew our papers. They uh, don't want us to renew our people. There is too much corruption here. There's another guy who wants us to pay some money so that we can renew our papers. Well, the challenge is basically is to get what we need here, like atom affairs. They don't help us. And when we come here, basically inside they say that atom affairs is free. But when we come here, it's not free. People are busy doing corruption here. They are beating people. They are taking money. An independent researcher, Tendai Gumbi, says there are many challenges that asylum seekers and refugees encounter, especially in South Africa. Gumbi has conducted research about refugees and their plight. He started in North Africa and traveled all the way to South Africa. Gumbi says asylum seekers face many challenges. The challenge that they then face when they get to South Africa is the issue of safety and security, where there's no safety and security that is directed towards refugees and asylum seekers. Also the issue of xenophobia, where they are always constantly attacked in terms of being foreign nationals and discriminated against. Even finding employment itself is very difficult for foreign nationals because, one, the documents that they get are not recognized by institutions, whether government or private sector. So a lot of work needs to be done to educate South Africans around asylum seekers, around refugees, and the documents that they carry and the challenges that they face. Meanwhile, a South African-based DRC immigrant Sikisanga Mbaki accuses fellow foreigners in South Africa of engaging in criminal activities. Mbaki warns about trusting what foreign nationals allege about South African authorities. Baba, don't listen to those people they are talking there. All of those people, they are, they are a thief. They don't want to look the job to work. That's how they are fighting with this security for home affairs in Mulu. They are talking nonsense to him. Don't listen to those people. They tell them they must go to look job. 
See, corruption is inside. No one knows. Only God knows. So them, they are coming here to do what? You can go there by the robot. They are, they are parking nice car. They are wearing nice. They said they are official. They are official. They are dying in Mahala inside. They don't know anything. They are taking name for officially outside to say me and Mr. This, me and Mr. This. So an concerned residents association has called on asylum seekers not to be made to pay money as their service is free. The association was responding to SABC broadcast on allegations that asylum seekers made about corruption in the process of applying of status documents. The association secretary, Daniel Chauke, urges foreign nationals to report people demanding bribes from them to relevant authorities. We don't have a problem with people coming from Zimbabwe. I'm saying people must not pay, must not pay money to get papers. People must not be made to pay money. That is what I'm saying. If they have proof for my police of a collector charity, they can do it. All my face, I charge a for any piece of paper. They must go through the normal process of applying. This year marks 18 years of the commemoration of World Refugee Day. I'm Maluti Ubuseng in Pretoria. Let's go back in time to today in 1965. Gary Player won the U.S. Open Golf Tournament and became the fourth winner to earn all four top pro golf titles. Player from South Africa was the first non-American to achieve this feat. Today in history in 1965. Humanitarian organizations Medicine Sans Frontieres has laid a formal complaint with South Africa's Health Ombudsman and Office of Health Standard Compliance about conditions at the Lindela Repatriation Center in Krugersdorp. Home Affairs Minister Malusa Gigaba has, however, reiterated South Africa's commitment to protecting refugees and strengthening capacity to respond to asylum applications at a World Refugee Day commemorative event at Constitution Hill in Johannesburg. Jermaine Gricher reports. Lindela Repatriation Centre is barely visible from the main road. There is no sign leading to its turn-off. Various civic and human rights organisations held a picket about what they say are the inhumane and unconstitutional conditions at the centre. Garrett Barnwell is with Médecins Sans Frontières. He points to the wall behind him as he speaks. Those of you you don't know where we are today. That's Lindela Detention Center, where thousands of mostly poor and mostly African migrants are housed, detained. To be clear, Lindela isn't a prison, despite its appearance, despite the watchtowers, despite the sound that you hear of the loudspeakers in the back, calling only names and countries. Situated between mine dumps and a charred felt on the outskirts of Krugersdorp, only grey rooftops peek out from behind high brick walls. Kayan Learn from Lawyers for Human Rights, says this is not a coincidence. This is why we're here, because it's symbolic this place is in the middle of nowhere. They want you to forget about our brothers and sisters, and we cannot forget this. We must remember we have forgotten who has made sacrifices for this country For this democracy, have they not made sacrifices for our leaders? Have they not made sacrifices for our democracy? She says we must remember that South Africa called its African brothers and sisters from across her borders. They were called here. Our economies were built on the backs of poor African labor. And suddenly, when South Africa decides we don't need you anymore, we don't want you anymore, we can continue violating your rights, we will arrest and deport you. 
like dogs. Barnwell says while detained, many refugees are denied even the most basic of human rights. On World Refugee Day, MSF laid a formal complaint at the Health Ombuds and the Office of Health Standard Compliance about the conditions that detainees face at Lindela. There's a lack of oversight of healthcare services in Lindela. There's poor implementation of accepted norms and national health guidelines at the facility. What I'm describing is actually a facility where health is spurious. On the surface, it looks like it's there, but it's not. Those in need of treatment or chronic care may only get partial access in the facility. Over the visit, several detainees that we interviewed as well exhibited signs of physical abuse. To repeat, MSF wants an independent investigation of Lindela. He says there are also no social or mental health services available to those detained here. The civic organizations involved vow that this fight will continue, even when the commemoration ceremonies have ended. They say the country's constitution protects all who live in South Africa and offers undocumented migrants the same rights as its citizens. Fulu Sintumule is from the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants and says asylum seekers have been through enough and should be protected from further victimization when they cross our borders. They have been victimized already by what is happening from their own country. And when they come to South Africa, but when they come here, they face the West. If you have been inside Lindela and you live in townships, you will appreciate that living in township is much better. Because the situation in Lindela, the health condition in Lindela, people in Lindela, we have got skilled people there who should be exercising, utilizing their skills to develop this country, to be one of the developed countries. He says it is important to remember that many of South Africa's revered freedom fighters were once refugees somewhere in the world. He says the South African government is failing migrants, asylum seekers and refugees, and thus also its own citizens. Despite this harsh criticism from civic organizations, Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gegaba says South Africa remains committed to protecting refugees and to strengthening capacity to respond to asylum applications. We know that in some instances we are found wanting because of lack of capacity and sometimes inadequate policy responses. But we do our best under the circumstances. And our efforts thus far to host and provide protection to refugees has demonstrated our sincerest political will. This has made our country over the years to become one of the largest host countries for refugees worldwide. That was South Africa's Home Affairs Minister Malus Gigaba ending that report by Jermaine Grecher. Today in 1963, Cardinal Giovanni Battista Montini was chosen during a conclave of his fellow cardinals to succeed the late Pope John Paul XXIII. The new Pope took the name Paul VI. Today in history in 1963. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. 
Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, defense and security chiefs in the SADC region are meeting in the Angolan capital, Luanda, later this morning to thrash out issues of peace and security in the region. Anglophone separatists in Cameroon have reportedly killed 81 members of the security forces and more than 100 civilians in the months-long campaign for independence. And human rights groups have pressured Gambia to hold accountable those who ordered police to shoot and kill two protesters this week. Those are the stories making headlines. There were mixed opinions from stakeholders making presentations in the public hearings on the political party funding bill in South Africa's parliament regarding a threshold to disclose funding from private donors. The NCOP is holding public hearings on the bill. Lula Mamadia reports. The political party funding bill was passed by the National Assembly last month and sent to the NCOP for concurrence. It allows for non-disclosure of private funding up to the amount of 100,000 rand. According to the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, the bill passes all the tests for a constitutional democracy. KESEC representative Professor Richard Kelland says they welcome that donors who want to remain anonymous will donate in a multi-party fund. This, this bill uh, passes all of the tests that we believe are, are crucial to having an effective piece of legislation. In fact, uh, Mr. Law's conclusion when he reported back to us was that this draft bill, if it was to become law, would sit probably not just in the top ten, but possibly in the top three or four pieces of law uh, uh, that have reached the statute book, statute book around the world. In However, COSATU is against the 100,000 rand threshold for non-disclosure. The Labour Federation says this will open a window for corruption whereby a donor will make multiple deposits of less than the threshold. COSATU representative Matthew Parks says every cent must be disclosed. Chair, our proposal is COSATU that you must simply disclose all donations. Even if it's one cent or five cents nowadays. Um, when you get your bank statements from the bank, the bank doesn't give you a statement of 100,000 above. It discloses every single cent you receive. So we don't think there can be an administrative or energy or time constraint argument that we are too busy as politicians to disclose below 100,000. You must disclose everything. The bank will print for you those things free of charge, or not free of charge, but a small admin fee. SANEF also made the presentations. SANEF's interest in the bill is on the availability of information. 
A representative from Investigative Journalism Center called Amapungane, Karabo Rajwili elaborates. That there should be an amendment, if you could go to the next slide, which, which both allows some level of anonymity for lower threshold donations, but then donations over above prescribed threshold must be, must be disclosed by the IEC to Parliament as well as to the public to, again, prevent this possible undue influence of private donors using this as an alternative mechanism to capture their party of choice. The bill is expected to be implemented in time for next year's general elections. Lula Mamaitya in Parliament. Today in 1985, scientists announced that skeletal remains exhumed in Brazil were those of Nazi war criminal Joseph Mengele. That's today in history in 1985. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. His main opposition party, the DA, Musi Maimani, has warned that interfering with property rights through land expropriation without compensation could be catastrophic for South Africa's economy. Maimani was addressing the annual convention and property exhibition of the South African Property Owners Association in Durban. Vusima Kosini reports. Maimani says amending the constitution to tamper with property rights will scare investors and ultimately collapse South Africa's economy. He says amending the constitution is not a solution. We don't think the constitution is the problem. We think that the primary focus of all South Africans ought to be creating laws that can ensure that South Africans can own land in their own rights, that in cities we accelerate the program of rolling out title deeds, that in rural communities we set up uh, schemes where those who work the land can own part of the land. And so we think that it's the constitution is not the problem. We need the political willpower to deliver on the mandate of land reform and land restitution. If, if we amend the constitution, and we simply allow a lack of control around private property rights, we will commit economic suicide. The DA leader also warned against what he says is a precedence of voting according to racial lines or historic background. It cannot be in South Africa that when South Africans go to the ballot box, they go to express a race or they go to express a history. If we end up in a space where it's a contestation of races, we might as well forego the democratic project. Because it will simply mean that, in fact, when you go, you need to just figure out what side of the pencil test you sit on and then vote accordingly. We have to be deliberate about saying what future do we want to express and which parties agree on this particular issue. And I would argue that, in fact, for the future of South Africa, coalitions are the way forward. The South African Property Owners Association says they are opposed to the proposed constitutional amendments, which, according to the organization, is intended to interfere with property rights. South African Property Owners Association CEO Neil Kopal explains. We believe that the constitution should not be amended. There is adequate provision in the constitution to expropriate, and uh, we support the mechanism for the expropriation bill to be adopted, sl- slightly tweaked in parliament.
Well, obviously. I mean, we've seen uh, just north of the border what has happened in Zimbabwe, and um, that should be uh, serve as a typical example of what could go wrong. And then, of course, not only for the people in, in the country, but externally, investors would obviously stop investing. The organization also condemned land grabs, saying it will scare investors. For SABC, I'm Vusin Makosini, Deben. Fruits and vegetable growers from Tanzania and five other East African countries have a reason to smile following a launch of a special initiative in Arusha yesterday. The initiative will enable farmers to export and profitably sell their farm produce overseas. Speaking after the launch of the upgrade program, Tanzania's Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs and East African Corporation, Dr. Susan Kolimba, urged growers to use the opportunity to produce high-quality product. Gabriel Zakaria reports from Arusha. It is a new move to vegetable and fruits producers who will benefit from the globe market, which say it is set to transform small and medium investments for the better, especially foreign market taxes. Farmers in Tanzania, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Burundi, and now South Sudan stand to benefit from the initiative subjected to meeting the required regulations and standards. Hadija Jabir is a vegetable producer from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, who is optimistic from this initiative program. My name is Hadija Jabir. We are into horticulture. We are growing French beans, snow peas and sugar snaps. I'm very happy for the launch of the program and I'm very much sure that it will help us as growers of these vegetables and fruits. First, for it to be launched in Tanzania, it shows how we will be the first country to be benefited by the program, and I am really grateful for that. We are, we are, we are prepared. I think the Minister of Agriculture now is uh, seeing as multicultural growers, and there was the launch of ASDP2, uh, I think, a few, few weeks ago. We could see the, the way forward, where we are going. The support government wants to give us is... People as stakeholders in agriculture, and I think uh, for us we are prepared now. Many, many more people are going into horticulture. Production is increasing, and the trouble has always been the market. So for them to launch it in Tanzania, it will really help us as growers. We as Tanzanians, we have a competitive advantage. We have land. We have uh, land. We have good climatic condition compared to other countries. So we're in a better position to compete when you think of us in comparison to other East African countries. According to Mr. Uwara Richard Otieno, the East African Corporation Principal Communication Officer, this market access upgrade program will provide support to small and medium-sized enterprises, SMEs, across the region to improve access to European Union EU markets and increase inter-regional trade. The program sets out to support East African SMEs specialized in a variety of sectors, including avocado, cocoa, coffee, horticulture, spices and tea. Interventions will focus on the identification and elimination of barriers to trade, improving competitiveness, strengthening of value addition for selected priority sectors. Tanzania's Deputy Minister for International Relations and East African Cooperation, Dr. Susan Kulimba, explains more. Uh, it can bring with uh, good features for the Tanzanian growers, especially those who are uh, growing the fruits and uh, vegetables. 
because it's one of the support which will assist these, uh, as you know, that it should be uh, assisting, the, supporting the smaller and medium-sized enterprises across the country and the East African community as a partner. And I think that uh, the initiative and even the program itself, it will assist uh, the countries who will prepare themselves uh, in the gaps which they had uh, in, the, in the past. To really assist and they'll be able to be uh, to, 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 to cope up with the program because they are among the, the partners, members of the partner state of the East African Corporation. As you know that there are a lot of strategies which were uh, prepared and developed by the Tanzanian government and especially the Minister of Agriculture. And I think uh, adding up to this uh, program will also assist them. And especially if you look at the items and the agricultural products which were mentioned in the program itself. The East African community has received the support under the European Development Fund to bolster and enhance competitiveness of East African community exports and the EU EAC market access upgrade program. Dr. Susan Kolimba again. There are a lot of campaigns of encouraging the, the Tanzanian citizens to produce in a, in, a, in a better way and also in a good quality in all of these countries. But I think that we have a lot of experts who are going around the country from the ministry itself, but also the, uh, the non-governmental officials. They will assist them if it is really the issues of the, the language itself. But I know that they, have, they are trying, they will have a lot of the, the, the initiatives, but also people have, uh, they know now that uh, if they use these initiatives and the programs which were established, whether it is under uh, the cover of the East African community or under the, the nation itself, they will use it properly because they know with this they can come out and enjoy and also uh, get the, 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 the profit of uh, making the business through these programs. The project implementation will be undertaken by German International Agency and the oversight of East African Community Secretariat jointly with the partner states specifically focusing on support to the coordination of program implementation and to the harmonization of East African community standards. Reporting for Channel Africa in Arusha, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Sakaria. In 1952 today, the British announced a plan to unite Rhodesia and Nyasa land now Zimbabwe and Malawi in Central African Federation. Today in history, 1952. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. The South African government says that the clothing and textile industry has led to a major recovery in the sector over the past few years. After coming under pressure from cheap imports from countries like China, the industry is once again holding its own against international and regional competitors. Many of these companies are taking part at the two-day Source Africa trade show in Cape Town, South Africa's Western Cape Province. The country's chief director at the Department of Trade and Industry, Abishak Timbo.
We apologize for no soundbite there, but we will uh, check our system once again in the next hour. Lesotho's economic revolution movement, home of aggressive entrepreneurs of Lesotho, says while it hails the government's move to ban importation of some agricultural produce, there is need to include stakeholders in the processes. In March, the Ministry of Small Business Development announced the partial ban of importation of red meat to reserve the market for local producers. The arrangement only allowed the importation of products that were an unavailable in the country. In May, a similar ban on eggs was announced by the ministry, although it is yet to be implemented. Home of Aggressive Entrepreneurs of Lesotho says while it agrees with the policy, it still questions its implementation. South Africa is only harming itself and its economy by excluding refugees, migrants and asylum seekers from the workforce. This according to Fulu Sintumole from the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants. He was speaking at a picket outside the Lindella Repatriation Center in Krugersdorp, west of Johannesburg. Sintumole says the South African government excludes many skilled laborers through legislature and policy and that when South Africa fails those who seek asylum inside its borders. It is also failing its own people. They have been victimized already by what is happening from their home country. And when they come to South Africa, but when they come here, they face the worst. If you have been inside Lindela and you live in townships, you will appreciate that living in township is much better. Because the situation in Lindela, the health condition in Lindela, People in Lindela, we have got skilled people there who should be exercising, utilizing their skills to develop this country, to be one of the developed countries. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has signed a record 29 billion US dollar budget for 2018 into law, but says he will use a supplementary spending plan to seek changes. Buhari is pushing to foster growth in the country. Nigeria's parliament passed the budget last month. Buhari was critical of changes made by the National Assembly. The Kenyan Treasury's bill to do away with the law controlling interest rates faces a major hurdle, with some MPs saying they will not pass the proposal. This comes even as Treasury says it has aggressively been lobbying legislators to accept the repeal of Section 33B of the Banking Act 2016. The U.S. dollar trades at 10.22 Botswana Pula. It's at 9.97 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 3.74 Brazilian real, at 63.63 Russian ruble, and at 68 Indian rupee, 6.47 Chinese yuan, and at 13.66 to the South African rand. 75 pence to the British pound, 86 cents to the euro. Gold on thousand, two seventy four dollars. Platinum, eight seventy two dollars an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at seventy five dollars, twenty two cents a barrel. You're listening to Channel Africa. End of the road for Morocco. End of the road for Saudi Arabia. Yeah, now the 
the, now the reality is striking now it becomes clearer who is going to stay on and now it's it's between you see now it's elimination and mm. also it's a it's a battle for who wins the group because that counts as well if you win the group then you will play against the, the second in the other group and uh, most of the teams or the countries will want to win the group so they can avoid each other in the early stages or in the last 16. well still a couple of days to go for the world cup give yeah, us an update it's still early days First up, English football officials are trying to identify a group of men, apparently England fans, who were videoed making Nazi salutes and anti-Semitic comments in Russia. There has been backlash on Twitter with English fans condemning the incident and the BBC's Richard Conway reports. This video is believed to have been filmed in Volgograd on the night England played their opening World Cup match against Tunisia earlier this week. The men, who appear to have southern English accents, are seen raising their arms and singing, We're on the way to Auschwitz. They are thought to be taunting Tottenham fans. The club has an historical association with London's Jewish community. The Football Association said it was working with the British police to identify the individuals involved. And Argentina's coach, George Sampoli, has urged fans to stop blaming Lionel Messi when games do not go script and instead appreciate all their captain has done for the national side over the years. Messi was furious with himself for missing a penalty in the South American's opener against Iceland, which ended one all in an inauspicious start for what may be his last chance to emulate Diego Maradona's feat of winning a World Cup for Argentina. Sambaoli told reporters at a news conference on the eve of their next group game, that's a group D, against Croatia, that it is unfair to single out Messi. Their next opponents, Croatia, comfortably dispatched Nigeria 2-0 in the first game, putting themselves in pole position to go through. England posted a new women's T20 international record of 250 for three against South Africa at Totten yesterday, just hours after New Zealand had done the same thing to the Proteas at the same ground. The three sides are taking part in a triangular tournament where teams will play double headers. It was South Africa's turn yesterday. First, they considered 216 for one against New Zealand, but that record did not last long. A few hours later, England eclipsed that score with Timmy Beaumont, one of the stars of the side that won last year's 50-over Women's World Cup, making 116 and putting on 147 for the first weekend with Danny Wayart. 56. Bowman said the team had ignored advice from England women's coach Mark Robinson. England went on to win the match by a huge 121 runs. And Tennis South Africa, TSA has confirmed its support for the Handshake Challenge, a new launch initiative by former South African tennis professional Davis Cup player and coach John Lafney Diaga. Diaga says the Handshake Challenge encourages respect between opponents by asking participants in any sport to shake hands before and after competition. Diaga says handshakes in sport are a sign of respect between opponents. Diaga explains. From a young age, you know, when you go to school to do with your teachers, when you, when you go to a business meeting, uh, when you go visit people at their home, but we never do it in sport. And I've had conversations with lots of people regarding what they think if rugby players have respect for each other or not. And the common feeling is no, they don't. I mean, they just want to run into the field. They want to obviously they want to beat each other up, and then afterwards they shake hands. And I thought what a great idea to run onto the field, shake your opponent's hand, to show him that you have respect for him. If you have respect for your opponent, you'll never be surprised when they play well. You want to challenge your opponent to always play his best because you don't want to win when your opponent is weak.
And Tony Bellew believes Tyson Fury views him as a serious threat after his destructive victories over David Hay. Bomba repeated a stoppage win over Hay in their heavyweight rematch in May and has turned his attention to Fury, another big-name domestic rival who made his return to the sport this month. A former WBC cruiserweight champion, Bellew, would have to contend with Fury's sizable advantages in height and reach, but is confident he could chop down his 6.912 opponent to force another stunning victory. That's a sport news this hour. Channel Africa brings you wall-to-wall coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup finals in Russia. Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes previews, reviews, analysis, breaking news and a podcast of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 5pm to 6pm Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. South Sudan's rival leaders meet face-to-face in Ethiopia and deadly attacks in Mozambique forces people to flee their homes. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutora Magadza and Khumutomo Pulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327 or tweet us at Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to southern Africa is Jonas Gwangwa with a song titled Murwa. <laughs>